First Peter chapter 2, if you'll find there. First Peter chapter 2, if you've been around, you know we just turned a corner, crossed over from chapter 1 to chapter 2. Today, we're going to be in the first three verses there. I do want to remind you, though, while you're getting settled with your Bible, that uh, two weeks from today, March 26th, two weeks from this evening, I should say, at 6 o'clock on March 26th, we're going to get together right here in this room for songs and testimonies about the faithfulness of God. And I can't wait. So go ahead, plan on being here. Uh, I do believe there's a child care registration in the bulletin or on the website. Check that out. But join us, and that's all it is. It's going to be ever how long it goes, you know, hour, hour and a half. We don't know. Uh, well, we do, sort of. Uh, testimonies and songs on the faithfulness of God. Well, First Peter, where are we? After a powerful reminder of the mercy and the grace of God by which we have been born again, the Apostle Peter is, has given five commands that are a part of our new life in Christ. We've already covered four of them. He said, because we have been born again to a living hope, now we are, here's the first command, we are to set our hope fully on the grace that will be brought to us when Christ returns. The second command is, because we have been born again to a living hope and have new life, we are now to pursue holiness. We are to be like Christ in holiness. Third, we heard that we are to live as new creatures in Christ on this earth, born again with proper fear. Respect for God's word, respect for the blood of Christ, letting it be to us a calling of sincerity to follow after Christ. Fourth, we saw this last week, the command was, is to love one another, to purify our souls for the very purpose of loving one another earnestly. So today, we come to the fifth command in this portion of Peter. There are other commands to come, but in this portion of 1 Peter, and the command is to long for pure spiritual milk that we might grow up. So stand with me in honor of God's word. 1 Peter 2, 1. So put away all malice and all deceit and hypocrisy and envy and all slander like newborn infants long for the pure spiritual milk that by it you may grow up into salvation if indeed you have tasted that the Lord is good. This is God's word. You may be seated. Now the emphasis in the Bible for the Christian is to grow up. To grow up into salvation. The emphasis for the person who's been born again is to be spiritually mature. To grow in the grace and the knowledge and the wisdom of Christ. The goal of growing up into salvation is set for us. It is set for us by God the Father and the Son who died for our sins, and the Spirit who made us new, given to us in the Word that cannot fail, our goal in life as Christians is set for us. So here's a question. What 
does the absence of this goal in our lives then say about us? If we're born again in Christ, and the goal then, the goal for our lives is set, fixed, then what does the absence of that goal say about us? If we don't have as our main goal in life growing up into salvation, what's going on? It might say that we don't want things set for us, that we want to set things for ourselves, that maybe we want to determine our own goals and our own pursuits and our own priorities without submitting to something that's actually fixed, something that's determined for us in the Bible. It just grates on human nature, doesn't it? To say, this is settled, this is fixed, this is set for you, conform to it. It's grates on our human nature. Well, that would mean that we aren't really born again. Because to be born again is to be a new person. Peter's talking about that. He started with, you've been born again. To be born again is to be a new person. To be born again is to be spiritually alive. To be born again is to be responsive to God. It's to have new desires for God and God's will. To be born again is to have a new purpose and new pursuit and new priority. It's to have a whole new identity, the identity in Christ. So maybe if there's a resistance to that, the Holy Spirit will use this message to move upon someone today, to call upon the Lord to be saved. To call upon the Lord who makes all things new to make you new. He will, you know, he really is a good God. And he will respond to the person who calls upon him. Or it might mean if we don't have this goal of growing up into salvation as the goal of our life, it might mean that we may be born again, but we're under-discipled. Which means that still, even though we might be a Christian, we're, we're, we're growing, and still we don't know that there's a high calling. Maybe we're not aware, we're becoming aware. I hope this morning you will be aware that we have a high calling. Maybe we don't know that this, the goal of our lives and the priority for us to pursue is to be like Christ. Maybe we're just now beginning to shake off the way of the world and the way of the old self. That way is searching for an identity that feels right to us but is not fixed coming to us from God or the way of finding ourselves in a group identity so that we will be affirmed, or that way of conforming to what other, others would tell us, some collective unified voice in this culture that tell us what we have to think and what we have to believe and what we're supposed to achieve and what we're, who we're supposed to be and what we're supposed to do in order to become somebody. And that would mean that we need to be corrected. It would mean that we need our minds cleared up 
The clarity that comes from the Word. Did, we, did you hear as we read together Psalm 19? The clarity that the Bible brings to us as it just sets our minds free from the clutter to say this is the way, walk in it. It would mean that we need our minds reset in the righteousness of Christ. We need to be renewed in Christ. It would mean that we simply mean need to be discipled. So hopefully this message will be used by the Holy Spirit to bring correction to us today and instruction and then, and then to stir us up with new desire. It is not the intention of the Holy Spirit to simply slap us on the hand. It is His desire to awaken in us an affection, a love, a desire for Christ and for growing up into salvation ask the Lord for that even as we start this morning ask him to awaken in you desire for growth in Christ and the word he's a good God certainly he would grant that if you asked him the goal the aim the chief end is determined the direction is set the way is made known we are to know it. We are to see it today in the Bible. We're to long for it and pursue it with all of the grace that is given to us by God. And with our whole heart and soul and mind and strength, we are to grow up into salvation. We are to grow into final salvation. If you could picture what final salvation will look like. We are to grow up into that. I love the phrasing of that. Look at verse 2. Grow up into salvation. This is the fixed, determined goal, final end for the Christian. It's what we're born again for. It's the evidence of being born again. And it's the main point for today. So I'm going to make five statements about growing up into salvation. First. Spiritual growth is for the spiritually alive. What do I mean by that? Well, Jesus said it, John 3. You must be born again. We use the word spiritual. We use the phrase spiritual growth. Sometimes it's used to speak about mental and emotional health or intellectual development, or insight into things relational and psychological. But that's not what the Bible is talking about when it talks about spiritual growth or growing up into salvation. Because if it's simply used as emotional health or intellectual growth or insight into relationship, then that means that anyone without Christ, anyone without the life of Christ coursing through them could still be spiritually growing. But really what's happening is that person would simply be, be becoming a better person, not a new person. There's a big difference. There is a big difference between becoming a better person and a new person. You can become a better person but still be the same person, just a better version. Unrepentant unregenerate, meaning not new, not born again, unresponsive to the Holy Spirit, with the same old self 
right at the core of life, just a better one. Maybe, actually, this person could actually be better, nicer, more confident, a more confident version of themselves. And some people think that that's really what being a Christian is. A Christian is just a nicer, more confident version of your old self. But that's not at all what a Christian is. A Christian is a new person, born again, spiritually alive, not just to themselves, but to God. Jesus said, you must be born again. Peter said, chapter 1, verse 3, you have been born again to a living hope. He says again later in chapter 1, since you've been born again by the living and the abiding word of God. And here in verse 2, he says, become like newborn infants or born again infants. We have to be We have to be shaken out of this natural way of thinking that says the essence of life is to become a better version of our old self. When in fact, the essence of life is knowing God. And the way to know God is to be born again and then to grow up into salvation. Ephesians 2 says, naturally, naturally, We are dead in our sins. And it is by God's grace alone that we are made alive in the Spirit. And the Holy Spirit must do that. So you might say, well, then what do I do? The fact that you're asking the question is evidence that the Holy Spirit is doing it. The fact that anyone would want to be made new is evidence that the Holy Spirit is alive and active in your heart, drawing you to even want that. The want to is there because the Holy Spirit put it there. The fact that anyone has ever called out to Christ to be saved is evidence that the Holy Spirit has already done that work in the heart to rebirth it, that that person would call out to God and say, have mercy on me and save me. It's the work of the Holy Spirit. And so now, like newborn babes, born again, we are pursuing, we are alive yet dependent. We are having, once having tasted, now we are longing for more. Spiritual growth is for the spiritually alive person. Second, spiritual growth is growth up into salvation. It says it in verse 2. We are to grow up into salvation. What is salvation? Well, Christians rightly understand that salvation is a gift. It's given to us by God. It is by grace. It is received through faith. And when we talk about salvation, almost all the time, we're talking about things like this. Forgiveness of sin. Aren't you glad that your sins are forgiven? I said rightly. Christians rightly think of salvation this way. We are forgiven of our sins. That's a gift. We also 
because of salvation, have right standing with God. I can actually stand before Almighty God and know that I am right with Him. Things are okay to stand before God when I am saved. That's a gift. Beautiful. And we also think, most always, when we talk about salvation, we think of the gift of the blessing of heaven that will come. To which we say, all caps, exclamation points, yes. And salvation is also, and we don't often think of this, but, but it's here, it's real. Salvation is also what God is making us, what we are becoming. Yes, it's what he gives us, forgiveness, righteousness, the blessing of heaven, but it's what he is also making us, what we are becoming. We're going to get to this next week when we talk about collectively. You know, what is Grace Community Church? Who are we as Grace Community Church? We are a part of something much bigger than us. We are a spiritual house. We're a royal priesthood. We're a holy nation. We're God's people. That's collectively. That's next week. Personally, salvation is becoming like Christ. God is making us like Christ. We don't become like Christ in our behavior to be saved. That's a gift. We're forgiven. But the salvation that will be brought to us when Christ returns is that we will be like him. This is what God is doing. This is salvation. He says, Peter says in chapter 2, we're following in his steps. We read a few weeks ago, we are holy like he is. The Apostle John in 1 John said this. It's one, of the, it's one of the most beautiful verses. Go look it up when you go home. Read it. 1 John 3, 2. 1 John 3, 2. He said this. Beloved, we are God's children now. Right now. And what we will be has not yet appeared. What? We are now, but there's more to come. We know that when he appears, that's Christ, we shall be like him because we shall see him as he is. That is the salvation that we are growing up into. We will be like him. The grace that will be brought to us at his revelation, the salvation that is ready to be revealed in the last time is to be like Christ. That is what it means to grow up into salvation. We are growing up into Christ. This is our high calling. This is the goal of our life that is fixed and set. We're becoming like Christ. Now, I know what you're thinking. I told you many times, I can read your minds. And you're thinking, are you kidding me? The gap, the gap between what you are and what you are to be seems so big. It did to Paul. Philippians chapter 3, his testimony. I love, I love Paul being testimonial, you know. And he said, I haven't obtained it yet. I'm not perfect yet. He was saying, I'm not 
I'm not completely like Christ in the actuality of my life on this earth, but I'm pressing on. I am pressing on to make it my own because Christ made me his own. I'm pressing on. He felt the gap. I feel the gap. Do you feel the gap? What do we do? We press on. The British gave us the phrase, mind the gap. I saw that years ago, the first time I was in London. It's the, it's the distance between the platform you're standing on and the train you're about to stand on. There's a, there's a hole there. There's a gap. Mind it. The Spirit is narrowing the gap. He's growing us. He's shaping us. He's moving us. The Word is doing its work, and we want this. We say, oh, I'm discouraged because the gap is there. Don't be discouraged. The Spirit is working. If you're born again, the Spirit is working. And He's he's narrowing this gap. He's shaping you to become like Christ. Spiritual growth is growing up. It's growth in salvation. It's growing up into the salvation that awaits, which is when He appears, we will be like Him. And all of the blessings of salvation, like forgiveness and right standing with God and reconciliation and unhindered fellowship with Him in heaven, will be perfect and complete as we will be like Christ. Third, spiritual growth recognizes and renounces sin. It recognizes and renounces the sins of the old self. Now, I'll be honest with you. When I was doing a quick reading of 1 Peter months ago, as we were thinking about this time that we're going to spend as a church, I came to chapter 2 and verse 1, and it said, So, it says, So, put away all malice and all deceit and hypocrisy and envy and all slander. Like newborn infants long. And that's right after this part about loving one another. And I really did think, where does that verse fit? Why is it put right there telling us things to renounce? And the more we meditate on this and think on this and look at the context and figure out how all this fits, we become to see we come to see very clearly that we're called to put these things away because we are new creatures in Christ. These things are old. And because these things stand in the way of our loving one another and because these things keep us from longing for the pure milk of the word. We are being called to repentance. Repentance. We say it all the time here at Grace. It's a beautiful word. If you see it on a sign on the side of the road, it might feel like a slap in the face to you. But if you understand it in the context of the Bible and all of the gospel, you embrace this beautiful word called repentance. We're called to renounce these things. This is a decisive action of renouncing, renouncing the flesh and the devil and the world. You know, in baptisms, 
In previous times, when the person was standing in the waters of baptism, they would actually be asked the question, do you renounce the devil and all of his works? Say, well, I just, I just thought I was having a sweet moment here with Jesus. I didn't know I was actually supposed to repent of something. Yes, it's a decisive action. This is an action that's taken in order for us to obey the command, which is to long for the pure milk by which we grow. This is what he's saying. He's saying, malice. Brothers and sisters, put it away. Malice. Doing things with the intent of harming another person. You can do, you can do anything. You can say anything with malice when your intent is to harm another person. Deceit. Dishonesty in the way you speak to and treat other people. Hypocrisy. Dishonesty in the way you present yourself to other people. Envy. Selfishly wanting, especially wanting what others have. Slander. Speaking or spreading false information about someone or even a false perception about someone. This is slander. He's saying all of these things will prevent spiritual growth and all of these things prevent longing for God's word, for the pure milk. And so you must repent of these things in order to long for the milk of God's word and to grow. In the Bible, the New Testament especially, gives us many lists of things that we're to be done with. It'd be really good if you would regularly read those. There's one in, Re in Romans chapter 13. I know some of you are note takers, so let me say this slowly. There's one in Romans 13. You'll find it. There's one in Ephesians 4, Colossians 3, Hebrews 12, James 1. You see, all these are lists of things that are of the old life, the pre-born again, pre-Christian life. He says, put them off. I was reminded this morning as I was thinking about this and I read from Romans 13, I was thinking about the, the list to put off in Romans 13. And St. Augustine or Augustine, you, you know, you say tomato, I say tomato. Uh, St. Augustine was reading Romans 13, the list of things to put off when he was converted to Christ. So I don't want to read those negative lists of things I'm supposed to re repent of. This man read that negative list and then he read put on Christ and he was converted. His whole life was changed. It says we're to lay, James says we're to lay aside these things so that we can receive the word. This is, this is what Jesus was talking about when, when he said there's the various types of heart and the word of God comes to each person, but whatever's going on in the heart determines whether that person is gonna receive the word of God. He's saying, let your heart be pure. No one becomes a Christian without repenting and trusting in Christ, and no one grows up into salvation without ongoing repentance. So Christian, are you living a life of repentance? Are you watching over your soul? Are you watching over your heart? You know, if you do not watch over, if we, if we don't watch over our hearts with all diligence, then it will diminish our longing 
for God and his word. If we don't watch over our hearts, it will stunt us spiritually. And I know right now you might be thinking, oh, I can't, I can't even stand this. I, I can't even comprehend looking into my heart. It's too much. I'm afraid of what I'll find. To which we say, no. He already knows. You're not informing God of anything. He wants you to see it so you'll turn to him and you'll throw yourself at his mercy and you'll be free. It's not, it's not scary to look into your heart when you know you're looking in the context of God's saving mercy and grace. Without grace it would be. If there's no grace, I wouldn't tell you to look at your heart. Without any grace, I'm not looking into mine. I'm shutting it up. I'm hiding it from you especially. But with the grace of God, we expose the heart to God and we say, cleanse me. We read from Psalm 19 this morning. Wash me, my mouth, my words, my attitudes, my heart. Let them be pure to you. Christian, are you watching over your heart to protect it from being dulled and diminished in longing for the word of God, stunting your growth? Let's pray for revived hearts Revived hearts will produce a great deal of repenting, and we can ask God for that. Is God not good? Would God not grant to his people a revived heart that would lead to repentance? Of course he will. He's waiting to do this. He's good. A revived heart will also produce a longing heart. Ask God for this too. God's commanding you right here to long for the pure milk of the word, and you might be sitting here feeling under a lot of weight right now because you're saying, to be honest with you, I do not long for God's word. Well, then ask him. Augustine is one who also said, command what you will, Lord. He's praying. Lord, command whatever you want to command, command it. But please, by all means, grant what you command. Long for the pure milk of the word? Okay, Lord, you've commanded it, but now would you please give me a longing for the pure milk? He's a good God. He'll do it. Fourth, spiritual growth requires longing for the word. Long, he says, verse 2, for the pure spiritual milk. Right here, I want to focus on this word long for it. Desire it. Newborns long to be fed. And those of you that have one are reminded of that at 2 a.m. Become like a newborn. Long for it. Elsewhere, Christians are told to mature beyond milk toward meat. But that's different. It's a whole different situation than what we're dealing with here. When Paul in 1 Corinthians and the writer of Hebrews said, mature beyond milk and, and want the meat of God's word, he was talking to people who were acting childish. And they were being rebuked for their lack of growth. That's not happening here in 1 Peter. Peter is exhorting people to become childlike. There's a big difference in being childish and being childlike. He's saying become childlike in your longing to be nourished so that you can grow up into salvation. So we should be like children in this respect. 
We should long for the pure milk. What is the milk? It's the Word of God. Peter has already said this in chapter 1. He said we're born again by the living and abiding Word of God. He says this Word has been preached to you. God's Word is pure, he calls it. The pure milk, it's pure, it's true, it's right. It's unmixed with anything that is not true, right, or good. My wife and I were having a discussion this week about some things going on in the culture and how Christians are changing their mind about certain things, and we were talking about why we should not do that, and one of the main reasons that we should not do that is because God's Word is pure. It's something we accept. It's something we submit to. We do not submit it to our approval. We say, the Lord says this is the good way and this is not the good way. So regardless of what I feel about it or think about it, regardless of the arguments for or against it, the bottom line is God's word is pure, true, righteous, altogether, Psalm 119 says, unmixed. And so we have to submit to it. We want to submit to it. We say we have to submit to it. Yes, we do. But we're born again. We have new desires. We've tasted and we've seen that the Lord is good. And so when we taste his word, we taste it as good. We want it. It's pure. It's spiritual. It gets us to God who is spirit. It's not opinion. It's spiritual in nature. It shows us who God is and how we're to repent and believe and how we're to live unto him in this world. It's milk. It's nourishing. By it we grow up. Go home and read today. Read today. Don't, I was going to say don't let the sun go down. The sun's down and it's not up. It is a cloudy, cloudy day. Before you go to bed, read Psalm 19 again. Read Psalm 119 again. Let these words wash over you until you are convinced. Ask God to convince you of the purity and the spiritual nature and the nourishment of God's word so that you'll long for it. We must long. Spiritual growth requires longing for the word of God. Now I know you're asking the question. You say, I can tell. I already know what you're asking. What? If I don't long for the word, don't raise your hand. But let me just ask you to be honest. Is anybody else thinking that? What if I don't long for the word? What if I long for everything except the word? What do I do? Well, you just ask the question. So that's the first thing you do. But here's some thoughts. As a born-again person, as a newborn, you do long for the Word. You have at least some point longed for the, at some point longed for the Word. But maybe you've become discouraged because the gap seems to be so big between what you see in your life and what you see in Christ's life. Maybe you have become distracted. I know that you are so tired of people telling you about the distractions of social media and personal devices. I am too. I like mine. 
but at the risk of irritating you even more. Maybe you're just distracted. Maybe it's an issue of discipline. You're undisciplined. Maybe you have let things like malice and deceit and hypocrisy and envy and slander and all the other lists that the New Testament tells us. Maybe those things have built up in your heart. And where, where there was, once was a longing, now it's dulled. Brothers and sisters, there's hope. Do you know what? It's in one word. Repent. Repent. Go back to God. Another thought. You say, I don't long for the word. Surely you have tasted of the goodness of the Lord if you're a born-again person. Surely you've tasted of his grace. Surely you've tasted of his kindness. Go back there. Go back to the grace and the mercy and the kindness of the Lord. Here's another thought. The Lord has given you the ability to make decisions. And you can, we can, make decisions to cultivate longing for God's Word. This is a command. Long for the pure milk of the Word is a command. And if God gives us a command, then He's going to grant what we need to obey the command. So we can do this. We can cultivate longing for God's Word. It would be helpful to you to cultivate longing for God's Word in obedience to actually have a copy of God's Word. Get a Bible. And as you get a Bible, this is, this, you may be totally new to this, or actually, you know what? You may have been around this a long time, but you still don't, you're still trying to figure out the Bible. And, and there's a lot to say, but I'm going to give you in like, like a minute of an overview. You get a Bible. It's like this one. And not just like, get your own, but get a Bible. And then just come to know some basics. If you know some basics, then what you can do is just kind of figure out where you are whenever you're reading, and it'll help you start to understand how it works, okay? So first thing I would say is this is one book called the Bible, but it's made up of 66 smaller books, but even those books differ in size. And the first 39 of them are found in the first half, and it's called the Old Testament. And it's good, by the way. The Old Testament is good. We're still into the Old Testament, okay? It starts in the Garden of Eden with God and Adam and Eve, and by the time you get to the third chapter, they've already sinned. And everything else, it's really simple, everything else from the third chapter of Genesis on is God doing things to get His people and the world ready for the coming of Jesus Christ. That's what, it's, it's, it's that, there's a lot there, but you can say it that simply. Everything in the Old Testament is getting his people ready, getting people ready, getting the world ready in God's fullness of time for the coming of Jesus Christ. Why Jesus Christ? Because he's the one who's going to save us from this sin. And in that Old Testament part, God gave laws that governed people. God revealed his holiness through these laws. And God showed people how much they need a Savior because they couldn't keep the laws. That's what's going on in the Old Testament. 
He gave them prophets. He gave them a lot of ceremonies. He gave them a lot of regulations to call people to faithfulness, but also to show them they weren't going to be able to keep this. They're going to need a Savior until the point of the time when Jesus came. Then we come to when Jesus came. Now we're in the New Testament. And that's the other 27 books. And the New Testament starts with the Gospels. And there's four of them, and they're all about the life of Jesus. And every one of them get us to the cross and the resurrection of Jesus. Why? Because that's the whole point. That's the central point of everything. That's it. Right there in four Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And Jesus said, I'm, I'm here to save you from your sins. And then what happens in the book of Acts? The whole church is birthed. Why? Because a whole bunch of people, thousands of people, came to faith in Jesus Christ. And there's this massive church in the city of Jerusalem. And it starts to spread out all over the place. And the rest of it is letters like what we're reading here to tell us how to live until Jesus returns. And then we come to the book of Revelation, and guess what? It tells us that Jesus is coming back. It's the end of the story. It hasn't happened yet, but it's happening and it will happen. He will return. And when he returns, what is he going to do? He's not going to put us back in a garden. He's going to bring a whole new city, a whole new earth, a whole new heaven, bring it all together under his rule, under his reign. All the redeemed are going to live with him. It's going to be great. That's the Bible. So if you, if you know where you are, when you're reading the Bible, it starts to make sense and you start to have longing for it. And the whole thing says this, God is great and God is good and God is gracious. That's the whole thing. That's the Bible. One more thing about learning to long for the Word. You say, I don't long for the Word. What do I do? I would encourage you to learn to pray from your Bible you know what makes me want to come back to the Bible every morning what makes me want to come back to the word every morning is because I know there I'm going to open up the Psalms I'm going to open up some other portion of the Bible Old Testament or New Testament I'm going to read about God I'm going to hear his voice it's going to start working in my heart and before I know it, I'm out taking a walk and I'm praying to God and I'm having fellowship with the Lord. And that cultivates my longing for it. Finally, spiritual growth. This is point number five. Spiritual growth is the result of the Holy Spirit and the Word of God. Verse two, by it. That's the word, the milk of the word. By it. You grow up into salvation. Every time we open the living and active and enduring word of God as born again people with new life, the Holy Spirit who gave us this new life goes to work in our hearts. And we respond to him. He takes the word which is profitable to teach us some things, to rebuke us and tell us we're wrong, to correct us and get us on the right path, to train us in how to live, to comfort us. He stirs up our heart, our longings, our affection. He directs our steps. The Holy Spirit goes to work. We are in a relationship. This is not a dead word. It's not dead rules. It's, it's not legalism. We are in a relationship with God our Father through Jesus Christ His Son by the power of the Holy Spirit with an open Bible and it is, He is working in us as we learn to long and to pray and to repent and to believe He is conforming us to the image of Christ. I leave you with some hope. Real hope. You 
can grow. Listen to me. I can read your minds. How many times have I said that today? I say that because you have told me this in private conversations. You're sitting there thinking, not me. That's for somebody else. That's for the real spiritual people. That's for the people who were born that way. No, no, everybody's born into sin. God redeems, God saves. You can grow. You can fellowship with God. You can become more like Christ. You say, but my personality is awful, and it might stay awful. <laughs> Your personality's not the point. You be you. But you pursue Christ and conform to his image and repent of your sin and pursue holiness. He'll take care of your personality. You can grow. Real hope. And realistic hope. You're going to be minding that gap till you go home to heaven. Be realistic. It's not perfection in this life. Follow the Apostle Paul. I have not obtained it yet, but I press on. So be realistic. Don't be discouraged. If you say, I, I've been battling this same old tendency of personality or unbelief or whatever all my life. Okay, keep going to Christ. Be realistic. Press on. If it's real, you can do it, but be realistic about it. And then the next one is realized hope. It will be realized. It'll really happen. When Christ returns, you will be like him. And that's why we press on. Father in heaven, thank you for your word. We pray today that it would be an encouragement. We know, Father, that the future... For this congregation and in this city of a witness to Christ will include you continuing to purify your bride, to sanctify your church, to grow up Christians into salvation. So we're asking for you to do that now. In Christ's name, amen.